Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. I'm just going to start my introduction again. Seamless. Okay. So uh, there's this 2017 film. Uh, Ruth, uh, the main kind of uh, actress there, um, she's a nursing assistant and she arrives home and she finds that her house has been robbed and particularly um, the silverware that she's inherited from her grandmother has been taken. And the whole scene's very distressing for her and then the police arrive and they're just kind of disinterested. Um, And to make it worse, one of her elderly patients has died that day. And the tragedy of it all comes out as she goes around to a friend's house and she's reading a children's book to her friend's daughter and it's about astronomy and how the universe is just made of carbon and she bursts into tears reading this children's book. She's debriefing with her friend an hour later and the, patient, uh, the, the friend says, oh, was this patient who died today? You know, was she a good person? No, she sucked, that's what she says. Um, basically, she uttered a racist obscenity and then died. But Ruth says to her friend, but you know what, it doesn't matter. They're going to roll her out and she'll become carbon. My grandma, uh, she was a war nurse. She spent her whole retirement serving food to folks with cancer. But now I'm the only one who remembers my grandmother and soon I'll just be carbon. And then over the next day, Ruth uh, is kind of surrounded by ordinary people being really horrible. Um, so uh, her friend's uh, husband, when, uh, when the friend says, look, could Ruth stay over tonight? Her house has just been robbed. You know, the husband just kind of rolls his eyes at the inconvenience. Uh, she meets um, uh, this guy at a bar and uh, he basically ruins the brand new novel from her favourite author <laughs> straight away. Um, this guy lets his dog poo on her grass, to spot, you know, again and again. And she's kind of just having this crisis, you know, moment wondering if life is so fleeting... If kindness is so fleeting, what's the point? What's the point? Now, all of us are going to wonder at some point in our lives, what's the point? What's the meaning of it all? Often when when we experience suffering, and especially when we're confronted by death, but you know what? Often after success as well. I mean, when you win Olympic gold or you finally pass that exam... And then the thrill actually just kind of fades away. You think, well, what was it all for? You know, some of us um, find ourselves asking the big question, but many of us do this thing where we um, just very quickly distract ourselves with the next, the next project or the next game or the next drink. You know, that, that film actually finishes with kind of, you know, um, she's there with a couple of friends, beers, barbecues, smiling, but they really haven't resolved the question. <laughs> And sometimes I wonder if Australians have a, have a spirituality of distraction. Um, many Australians, I still think, are very open to God things, but just preoccupied with good things. And yet there's something about us humans that just keeps craving meaning. We want to know what the purpose is. I mean, what's all this striving? Right? Um, you, ask a que- you, know, you ask your friends, you know, how are you going? What's the answer? Busy. You know what? What's it all for? What is all the busyness and what is it for? We want to know that, don't we? We we want significance. We want to know that all this kind of points to something bigger that says it all matters. And so, although we kind of long to have meaning, the trouble is we live in a world now that says there is no grand meaning 
to life. That's the world that we live in. And so today we're just going to kind of wrestle with, like, how, how do any of us make sense of meaning in life? Now, ever since, um, there was a guy called Friedrich Nietzsche, and he said, God is dead, 1834. And ever since he said that, our Western culture has been struggling to find meaning. Now, what Nietzsche was saying was something like, um, God was only ever an idea, that's what he kind of thought, and um, humanity's outgrown that childish need for, you know, the idea of believing in God so thoroughly that he said, God's dead, and we've killed him. But Nietzsche was one of those people who realized, like, he could join the dots, and he realized the full implications. No God means there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no morality, there's no reason to be compassionate rather than cruel. There's just no, no meaning. And so 100 years after him, um, Albert Camus, a Frenchman, argues that just life is absurd. Um, like the Greek uh, myth of Sisyphus. Do you remember um, this uh, Greek myth? Um, you know, pushing the rock up the hill and then the next day he's got to just do it again and again and again. Or if, let's just, he's a philosopher, so let's go lowbrow. Um, Fargo, TV show. Um, this character says, you know, Camus says, knowing we're all going to die makes life a joke. Bertrand Russell, an atheist philosopher, said, you know, all our labour and love is destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. The composer John Cage more recently said, no, why? Just here. There's no point asking for a point in this meaningless universe. And, in fact, numbers of kind of these, these intellectuals argue it'd actually just be better if we stopped ourselves from asking the question. Stop asking for, you know, what the point is, because there is no point, so just stop asking. But you don't find that very satisfying, do you? And neither actually do most secularists. I mean, maybe, maybe you agree with Nietzsche there's no God, but you don't agree, you can't agree that there's no meaning. Most of us don't want to live each day with quite that much pessimism, (laughs) thinking there's no point to the whole thing. And in our world... um, the most popular kind of, you know, solution to that is, is secular humanism. Okay, stay with me here. Which, is, which kind of ends up saying we create our own meaning. Okay, it's a meaningless universe, we create our own meaning. Um, so um, uh, Novel, uh, Yuval Noah Harari puts this kind of quite well in Homo Deus. He says, um, the antidote to a meaningless and lawless existence was provided by humanism. Whereas traditionally the great cosmic plan gave meaning to the life of humans, humanism reverses the roles and expects the experiences of humans to give meaning to the cosmos. According to humanism, humans must draw from within their inner experiences not only the meaning of their own lives, but also the meaning of the entire universe. This is the primary commandment humanism has given us. Create meaning for a meaningless world. And, you know, um, a lot of people in our day actually find something um, liberating and thrilling about that. Um, you realise this, right? Um, uh, I get to be the author of my own story. I don't have to kind of live by anyone else's kind of grand purpose imposed on my life. I make my own meaning in a meaningless world. But the catch is... There's always a catch. <laughs> the catch is when you exchange um, inherent meaning for like create your own meaning, um, you lose out. Um, Creating our own meaning is less rational, 
less communal and less durable. Now, I've stolen those headings from um, Tim Keller's book um, in the references on the notes, and um, if you want to get those headings, they're on your handout. I'm just going to take you through them because we've got to wrestle with this stuff. Right? Creating our own meaning is less rational, as strange as that sounds. Okay, but this is a very practical point, right? Um, the teenagers, uh, you know, won't get out of bed. You say, get up, why? You know that why question? <laughs> oh, so you can go to school and get good marks. Why? Oh, so you can, you know, um, get into a university. Why? Oh, so you can get a good job. So why? So you can have money and do stuff and then retire and then die. And Why? <laughs> and the problem is, um, at some point, like the, a secular person who just thinks this world is meaningless is going to come back to that fact. The whole thing is meaningless. And so what do you do that at that point if you're that person? And C.S. Lewis kind of um, prods at that problem in these words. He says, well, okay, what you might do is you might decide to simply have as good a time as possible. But that's hard, except in the lowest animal sense, to be in love with a girl if you know and keep on remembering that all the beauties, both of her person and of her character, are a momentary and accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms and that your own response to them is nothing but a psychic phosphorescence arising from the behaviour of your genes. Or a different example, he says, um, you can't go on getting serious pleasure from music if you know and remember that its air of significance is a pure illusion, that you like it only because your nervous system... Sorry. Your nervous system is irrationally conditioned to like it. You may still, in the lower sense, also have a good time, but just insofar as anything in life becomes very good, just insofar as it ever threatens to push you on from cold sensuality into real warmth and enthusiasm and joy, so far will you be forced to feel the hopeless disharmony between your own emotions and the universe in which you think you really live. Right? You're enjoying the music, but you know it's all meaningless, and just there's a disharmony. Now, of course, most people don't live with that, don't live that way, because what we do is we put that out of our minds. And that's the point. We put it out of our minds. See, if you believe in a meaningless universe, the only way you can enjoy life is by not thinking about the fact it's meaningless. The atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel says we should stop thinking about meaning in life. Now, the difference is, if you're a Christian, and when a Christian is struggling with suffering or meaning, the Christian needs to think more. Needs to think more about the fact that there is a God who made you and who loves you, and even when he had lost us, he still pursued us. A God who gave his son to suffer for us and who gives us meaning and hope now and life forever. The Christian needs to think more in those times of suffering and wonder. But you see, creating our own men, it's actually less rational. And then the second thing is, it's less communal. And the catch here is, um, if it's just up to me to create my own individual meaning in a meaningless universe, then no one else is allowed to dictate to me what that looks like. Right? So um, my, your, meaning might be, your meaning in life might be to feed the poor. My meaning in life is to get rich at the expense of the poor. And if there is no inherent meaning that we actually all share, just the meaning you make up for yourself, 
There's no comeback to that. See, if we're just all creating our own individual meaning, there's no resources to share this world and to actually be able to live together. And then third problem, creating our own meaning is less durable. Okay? If you decide to find meaning in your work, what happens when you lose your job? Or you're incapacitated? Um, If you look for meaning in a relationship, how will you cope when that falls apart or the person dies? Because, you see, if you invest meaning in those things, they could be gone tomorrow. They'll always be fragile and fleeting because the problem is death just always catches up with us all. And so creating your own, it just can't last. It's not secure. So... Where's that leave us? (laughs) Um, We crave meaning. We live in a world that says there is no meaning. And at at best, you can create your own meaning, but that's kind of full of holes. Now, if you're someone who's kind of not there yet with Christianity, I'm, I'm not here trying to say your life is meaningless, okay? I'm saying your life is meaningful, actually. But if you're someone who's ever worked in science or technology, you, um, you know when you do the experiment and it just kind of falls apart and it's gone wrong and you know, you know what you do? You kind of rewind and you re-examine some of the premises of the experiment. And so, yes, if God is dead, if there is no God, there is no meaning. But you see, if it could be true that Jesus is alive, then there is meaning that death cannot take away. Do you see? Now, you might have all sorts of questions about the history and science of Jesus' resurrection. That's okay. I just want to finish today by kind of sharing how it is that Christianity offers us something here that offers us meaning that death cannot take away. I want you to know um, the Bible's not naive about the problem. In fact, um, you can find the modern secularist in the Old Testament. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes ran the whole secular thought experiment like 3,000 years ago. Because the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes says, you know what, let's imagine. Let's imagine life, he says, under the sun. That is, life as if this world and this life is all there is. Well, let's, let's imagine that. And the passage we're reading is talking about, well, you know, it's great to be wise, except I suppose it's better to be wise, wise and not a fool, except then he catches himself and says, well, but does that even matter? I've got this verse on the screen. It says, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity, fleeting. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. And it ends in the same existential kind of crisis uh, as Ruth in the film. Why be wise? Why be kind? What's the point? We all end up dead. Now in the Bible... That kind of question in Ecclesiastes is never fully resolved until Jesus and until Jesus is risen from the dead, actually. And so I want you to listen to the hope 
that is dripping from the pages of 1 Peter. And this time, I I want you to grab your Bibles, please, and uh, turn to 1 Peter, and we're on page 1014 of these blue Bibles, uh, or you can catch up on your smartphone, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 3. Just listen to the hope and the meaning that is oozing out of this passage. Uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a whole lot of stuff in that passage, but um, we can have new life because Jesus rose to new life. We can have, I love the expression, a living hope. Because Jesus is the living Lord alive today. You know, if your hope is in humanism, um, if your hope's in yourself, right? That, that's what humanism's about. That's what religion's about as well, by the way. You know, you, you save yourself by being really good and religious. Your hope's in yourself. If your hope is in yourself, your hope will only ever be as good as your performance. It'll be fragile and fleeting. But this says, if your hope is in Jesus... God's already like written you into the will and you get to share in an inheritance that lasts forever, that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And all because Jesus is the one person in history who conquered death. And he did it in history, in reality, so that no robbery and no cancer and no setback and no suffering and not even death can rob away that hope from you. And this says, you know, if Jesus has suffered and risen, then Jesus can even give meaning to your suffering. Now, Christianity doesn't welcome suffering like the Stoics, you know, bring it on. And Christianity doesn't deny suffering like Buddhism does. It's all just an illusion. And Christianity can um, cope with suffering in a way that secularism struggles because secularism, you've got to find your, all your meaning in this life. And if, it falls, if this life falls apart, you fall apart. But Christianity says, even when we've acted like God doesn't exist at times, he still loved us. That the creator of the universe sent his son to suffer for us. And because Jesus walked out of that tomb alive, death doesn't get the last word on your life. Now, God used Jesus' suffering to save you. And he can use your suffering, 1 Peter says, to refine you. Because, see, if your hope and meaning is in Jesus, it can't be taken away. And that'll mean you can cope with suffering and death in a way far better than you ever could without Jesus. 
just kind of personally, there's been a few times over the last six months or so when um, some difficult things have been going on and I've been trying to reassure um, our kids or, or a Christian friend in the midst of suffering. And, you know, I find myself kind of saying this cliched, you know, it'll be okay. And then sometimes I've caught myself thinking, hang on, should I, should I really say that? Is that kind of over-promising? Like, can I promise it'll be okay? But I read this this week, and it says, because Jesus is risen, there's an inheritance guarded in heaven that cannot be taken away, and even death can't steal it away. And I say, friends, if you're a Christian, it will be okay in the end. Because Jesus is risen, because death doesn't get the last word, because there is an inheritance that cannot be stolen away from you. Now, countless other Christians have found meaning and hope in Jesus in the midst of suffering. Um, I was reading, again, the story of Letitia Wright. She's one of the stars of the Black Panther film earlier this year. At age 18, she was crumbling under the pressure of being a professional actress and all that you can imagine is involved in all those auditions and all the rest, and she was depressed. And then I'm going to read, she says, I needed to take a break from acting because I I really idolised acting. So I came off from it and I went on a journey to discover my relationship with God and I became a Christian. It really just gave me so much love and light within myself. I felt secure, like I didn't need validation from anyone else or from getting a part. My happiness wasn't dependent on that. It was dependent on my relationship with God. Now, of course, it's tempting, I think, um, for sceptics to dismiss some of those stories. Well, that's just, Christianity is just a crutch for those people in suffering and need. But in a way, that's the point today, friends. Jesus really, really does bring meaning and hope to people who are going through suffering. He really does, in a way that nothing else in this world can. You know, so friends, um, if God is dead, there's no ultimate meaning or purpose to any of it. But if Jesus is alive, you can have meaning that even death cannot take away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus' death we know that you have suffered for us and with us and that in Jesus' resurrection, death does not get the last word. And so, Father, we pray wherever we might be with you today that you would help us to know the joy and hope and meaning that comes from Jesus, died and risen for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Friends, thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.